0: Sponsored by Expressway. With MyExpressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. O stony grey soil of Monaghan the laugh from my love you thieved. you took the gay child of my passion and gave me your clot conceived you clogged the feet of my boyhood and I believed that my stumble had the poison stride of Apollo and his voice might mumble. You told me the plough was a martyr. O oh, green life conquering plough, the mandrel stained, your coulter blunted in the smoothly field of my brow. You sang on steaming dunghills a song of cowards brood. You perfumed my clothes with weasel itch. You fed me on swinish food. You flung a ditch on my vision of beauty, love, and truth. O oh, stony grey soil of Monaghan You burgled my bank of youth Lost the long hours of pleasure All the women that love young men Oh, can I still stroke the monster's back Or write with unpoisoned pen His name in these lonely verses Or mention the dark fields where The first gay flight of my lyric Got caught in a peasant's prayer Black Black Cove, wherever I turn I see, in the stony grey soil of Monaghan, dead loves that were born for me.
1: And that was the voice of Michael D. Higgins reading the words of Patrick Cavanagh, Stony Grey Soil, from the newly released album Almost Everything. And you're very welcome to this latest Christmas podcast with me, Gary Cook. And today we are going literary for today. We celebrate the work of the truly great Irish poet, Patrick Cavanagh, with special thanks to and an association with Clatter Records. Now, almost everything was a double album featuring the revered poet's only reading of his work originally released in 1964. But now it has been reimagined and re-recorded with new readings, by some of Ireland's most famous sons and daughters, including Michael D. Higgins, Bono, Liam Neeson, Kathleen Watkins, Imelda May, and many more. It is all set to an ambient and compelling music composition recorded by Cormac Butler, writer, producer, and mix engineer at Faction Records. And it also includes the original recordings of Patrick Cavanagh from 1964. Almost everything.
2: If ever you go to Dublin town, in a hundred years or so, inquire for me in Bagged Street and what he was like to know. Oh, he was a queer one, fall all that I do. He was a queer one, I tell you. My great-grandmother knew him well. He asked her to come and call on him in his flat, and she giggled at the thought of a young girl's lovely fall. Oh, he was dangerous, fall all that I do. He was dangerous, I tell you. I saw his name with a hundred others in a book in the library. It said he had never fully achieved his potentiality. He was slothful, Faldol That I do. He was slothful, I tell you. He knew that posterity has no use for anything but the soul. The lines that speak the passionate heart, the spirit that lives alone. Oh, he was a lone one, followed all I know. Yet he lived happily, I tell you, I wonder. From my arrival in Dublin in 1940 till about uh, 1952, I was a man bursting with belief in myself. I was always bursting with belief in my point of view. And the job was to get a forum for that belief. I was arrogant and satirical of fools and didn't realise that such a man could not be safely employed. Dangerous to be safe with such a fanatic. As I look back, I sometimes am puzzled. But apart from this kind of belief in oneself, there is also that curious belief that is part of the soul's energy. Neighbours of mine in the country used to wonder why anyone did anything for anything but self-interest. A contented cow was their ideal. Now, why does a poet, uh, say a poet, start writing verses at 18 or 20 and continue till his death? We live in a sort of fog. We act blindly. And society is a guide for the blind, guiding us past love to marriage. We are all blind, and all poetic activities take place in this fog. Consciousness is despair. And that was Patrick Kavanagh,
1: courtesy of almost everything. But who was Patrick Kavanagh? I spoke to
3: Michael Hines,
1: Associate Professor of English Literature at Dublin City University.
3: Um, Patrick Kavanagh is a pretty unique phenomenon, but he's also a very recognisable one in that he is a truly uh provincial genius um this is the kind of thing we get in irish culture and irish literature he belongs with people like uh flan o'brien you know who, who comes out of straban in fact an awful lot of these really interesting singular irish imaginations have emerged out of the borderlands uh sort of l- the lost zones of irish life if you like cavernas very very much falls into that kind of um into that kind of, I was going to say community, but that's not the the right word, (laughs) because they're very, very kind of singular characters who came from these kind of remote places, but needed to get out of them. And they knew that they needed to get out of them because of their wit, because of their intelligence. And actually, Kavanaugh, his family was full of people like that. You know, he wasn't some kind of singular phenomenon in that way. You know, the brother became a professor, people who became teachers. It's not that he was some kind of... um, uh, rustic, unrefined genius. In fact, he was someone of learning, someone very self possessed, but he also knew that he was discontent with the destiny that appeared to be kind of laid out for him and was looking for something else. You mentioned,
1: uh, Michael, that he was provincial. He talks quite a bit about this. Uh, he, he says the
3: Irish are provincial rather than parochial. Yeah, yeah. People talk an awful lot about this nowadays, about the kind of the local and the global. In many ways, what Kavanaugh does is open up people's understanding of how those things are intermeshed and interlinked. In fact, he, he lays, lays the ground for a poet like Seamus Heaney, for example, who's very much somebody that people come to first thinking of his relationship to his townland and working this particular zone of the earth. Kavanaugh does that first. Uh, Kavanagh probably does it more comedically, um, that he has a kind of due sense of irony about coming from a relatively small zone of the world, but he also is quite confident about the potential significance of that. So famously, in a poem like Epic, he kind of sets his f- set of experiences from rural County Monaghan up against the experiences of uh, that are recounted in the great classics, you know, the great kind of... And also, so we get the Iliad cited, but we also get... Um, the great wars of the the 20th century cited. But it's not to say that he says, this is more significant than that. He understands that it's all part of a kind of complex. He's got a very complicated worldview, more complicated than most people. Um, The danger with Kavanaugh is that we would tend to oversimplify the, the hard truth of his complexity and say, oh, he's just a kind of, he's just a rural genius. So this idea was Kavanaugh, born or was he made was he just sort of delivered as a kind of almost supernatural phenomenon not at all he's very much a product of his time but he was hypersensitive to environment um both his local environment but how that related to the rest of the world
0: sponsored by expressway With MyExpressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones make friends with innovation.
1: Now, before we rejoin our Patrick Cavendish journey, a few words about Claddagh Records. Claddagh Records is one of Ireland's oldest record labels and was set up in 1959 by Gareth De Bruyn and Ivor Brown to promote the work of Irish writers, the spoken word, and traditional Irish musicians. Indeed, the Chieftains released their first album with Clad in 1964 and other Irish writers who have recorded with them include Samuel Beckett and Seamus Heaney and it is said to contain the greatest trove of traditional Irish musicians and the spoken word in the state.
2: We borrowed the loan of Carr's big ass to go to Dundalk with butter Brought him home the evening before the market and Agzell that night in Mucker. We heeled up the cart before the door, we took the harness inside. The straw stuffed straddle, the broken breeching, with bits of bulwark wire tied. The winkers that had no choke band, the colour and the reins. In Ealing, Broadway, London town, I name their several names. Until a world comes to life, mourning the silent bog. And the god of imagination walking in a muck or fog. That
1: kind of juxtaposition of of language is um, explored in Cares Ass, isn't it? In kind of the Irish with the English. He references a lot of uh, uh, English and Irish things in the same poem. So that's obviously quite deliberate.
3: Yeah, and so it is this particular kind of facet of, uh, I guess, the poetic imagination that poetry is one of those places where you can actually be two or three places at once or suggest the power of the mind to do that. And Kerzasi Cur- does that with particular um, particular force because he takes you into the kind of drama of this particular situation in his past and kind of through describing objects, material things off that scene, really brings you into that world. And then he draws back from it and sort of lets you know that, well, this this kind of material kind of sense of that reality was something that came to him elsewhere, uh, transplanted, dislocated in London. So all of a sudden we have this kind of sense of the poem not only being about the realisation of a particular scene, but how you came to that realisation and how that realisation was informed by being elsewhere. That The the need to remember mucker, uh, mucker fog emerged out of being uh, dislocated in London and, and and I guess poetry is the thing that actually brings that together right he's particularly good at that.
2: Every old man I see reminds me of my father, when he had fallen in love with death, one time when sheaves were gathered. That man I saw on Gardner Street, stumbled on the curb, was one. He stared at me half-eyed, I might have been his son, and I remember the musician faltering over his fiddle in Bayswater, London, he too set me the riddle. Every old man I see in October-colored weather seems to say to me, I was once your father.
1: So I think one of the things that uh, makes people like Cavill and relate to him is the simplicity of of the language, and uh, as you say, referencing things that are very close to us, like uh, in Indiskey and Road. You know, the, the bicycles go by in twos and threes. There's a dance in Billy Brennan's barn tonight. Like when I was in school, that's that's one of the few lines I remember <laughs> from my Leaving of syllabus. <laughs>
3: well, see what he's like. Uh, what I often think he's a bit, a bit like, no. Uh, is Mississippi bluesmen who write make use of toponyms all the time. Will cite very specific places, have a sense of occasion, invite you into their peculiar geography, you know. And then quite often will reference the fact that there might be something on at a particular juke joint tonight or something like that. That becomes part of the occasion of the poem. There's something of that in Kavanaugh, you know, that uh, localities. When you write about a location, when you give that sort of precise sense of a place, in fact, for readers, they want that to be as precise as possible. You know, they actually want to be able to believe in it. And he understands that very, very well. And that's why I think the curiosity of it is, and of course, because most people's images of of place are sharpened uh, by the duration that they carry them around with them. Like, is his... his formative places, his formative sort of sites, are always there. Um, maybe Dublin landscapes are not quite as realised, not quite as sort of sharply uh, understood. But that Monaghan of uh, of Cavanagh's, my God, that's a that's a really credible world, you know. Which brings
1: us to the poem, "Whence that line is taken," Inish Road, Road, uh, read now by Lisa McGee.
0: Bicycles go by in twos and threes. There's a dance in Billy Brennan's barn tonight, and there's the half talk code of mysteries and the wink and elbow language of delight. Half past eight and there is not a spot upon a mile of road, no shadow thrown that might turn out a man or woman, not a footfall tapping secrecies of stone. I have what every poet hates, in spite of all the solemn talk of contemplation. O Alexander Selkirk knew the plight of being king and government and nation. A road, a mile of kingdom. I am king of banks and stones and every blooming thing.
1: Cavanagh came to Dublin, Michael, in 1939. I mean, he was a writer. uh, he was also published before that.
3: Mm. Uh, So what were his aspirations when he came to Dublin? Uh, It's a good question. I I suppose what Kavanaugh was nurturing is what a lot of of poets nurture is the hope that actually you'll be able to sustain yourself through writing, through having a, a kind of literary life and that's a very, very difficult thing to do, as he experienced. And it's it's actually a matter of of luck as much as anything else. I think Kavanagh was hoping, to a degree, that he'd be able to um, network with people and turn himself into that rarest of things, a a poet who doesn't have to patch his own trousers.
1: But he didn't seem to easily fall into the milieu of uh, the Dublin uh, literary uh,
3: brigade... Well, I think it's a classic thing that he did and he didn't. I mean, he seemed to know everybody. He got to know everybody that (laughs) he needed to get to know to a degree. But he didn't like them and they didn't like him. And that was a complicated phenomenon because I think he understood uh, that he was for a start, a better a better writer than them and that their claims on people's attention were bogus, whereas his were very real. But this is a time-honoured phenomenon, you know? This is the same as... I think he probably liked that situation to a certain degree. You know, Mark Twain spent all of his life moaning about the literary establishment of New England. Where does he go and live? Connecticut. Right in
2: the middle of them all. Right in the middle of all of these people that he hates. On Pembroke Road, look out for my ghost disheveled with shoes untied, playing through the railings with little children, whose children have long since died. Oh, he was a nice man, followed all the Dido. He was a nice man, I tell you. Go into a pub and listen well, if my voice still echoes there. Ask the men what our grandfathers thought, and they tell them to answer fair. Oh, he was eccentric, followed all the Dido. He was eccentric, I tell you. He had the knack of making men feel as small as they really were, which meant as great as God had made them, but as male as they disliked his heir. Oh, he was a proud one, for all that I know. He was a proud one, I tell you.
1: So the image of Cavan as a guy who is going from pub to pub, wandering around Dublin, mm. or Karma across, as I as I heard from my friend's mother who, who lived there growing up, um, as a fellow the worst for wear for drink. I mean, is that true? Is that part of it? Is that or it's, is that exaggerated? It is
3: certainly what everybody seems to have said to a certain degree. You know, and there are stories. That I, I, um, I was taught back in the day by Anthony Quinn who became the most significant kind of uh, Kavanaugh scholar. And uh, she told me a story about some French professor who came over to interview him, because people were coming to see him, like again, but to, to find him, you had to sort of track him down in whatever boozer he was gonna be in. <laughs> but, well, the the French guy uh, found him, Bought him a drink and they sort of settled in, but the, the French guy had made the mistake of putting quite a substantial amount of change on the table. And he went off to the the toilet, came back and it had, it had vanished. And it became this kind of Larry David moment where he was sort of staring at Kavanaugh and Kavanaugh was staring back at him. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we might say this might be an example of not doing yourself any favours, but it's not it's not an unfamiliar idea the the the, the 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 theme of it brings us back to this idea of the 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 poet the, the poet trying to become a professional poet how often those those ambitions get uh devastated by by versions of alcoholism I mean, it's a really classic theme you know there's a great book by um Lewis Hyde called The Thirsty Muse talks about this phenomenon you know and uh Cavan is a classic example of it. Probably, actually, I mean, really, you know, I mean, similarly, you know, Joyce similarly beset by alcoholism, no doubt about it. You know, uh, sometimes the greatest talents are afflicted with the greatest thirsts. His most famous words, probably,
1: are uh, two, two words actually. Raglan Road. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is it about Raglan Road that? Seems to resonate so deeply with Irish people.
3: Uh, yeah, see, the, one of the interesting things about it is that it doesn't seem particularly representative of so much of the rest of his writing. Not least because it is such a beautiful song and renders so beautifully as music. It tends to be framed romantically. People tend to think of it in those ways. Um, and that's not to say that that's wrong. I mean, it's, 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 uh, but the kind of complicating part of this, the, the song or the lyric that I, I like is this sort of the references he makes that, that within it to kind of dark mysteries, if you like, to a kind of magic, which I think is a really important thing in Kavanaugh. That, um, in that, as in so many of the kind of <laughs> the lyrics where he's thinking about love, or actually, for want of a better word, sex. Um, he is looking for these kind of deep pre-Christian structures, <laughs> almost of desire and almost ritual, a kind of magic. That and in this way, I would see him. There's there's a kind of a, a category that they talk about in anthropology. But I don't know, you probably know it: the trickster. Quite often the trickster takes the form of an animal in some mythology, so it's coyote or something in some Native American culture. Or a
1: number, number ten in South American culture. Right,
3: and the trickster is often associated with figures in literature like uh, Ulysses but also with poets and in particular, because tricksters are kind of, they join unfamiliar parts of the world together but they also have an essentially kind of comic sense of what life or what fortune might hold for you. That's Kavanaugh. And in that So he connects to these old magics and these kind of deep mysteries, but the mystery, the mystery is a mystery. It's like, why is it, how is it that no matter what, no matter who the girl is or whatever girl you meet, it never quite ends the way you want it to end? I mean... Kavanaugh, more or less, in that song explores that particular kind of situation. It's a situation that a million other songs have explored, but he does it with a kind of a depth and a resonance that really speak to people. But. It is, it, is, it is weird because in many ways what it sort of reads like is if um, uh, the, the protagonist of The Great Hunger had really vivid dreams. This is what his dreams might be like. These are what his kind of deepest erotic fantasies might be like. <laughs> but even then they would be thwarted. Even then he would wake
2: up.
4: <laughs> on Raglan Road on an autumn day. I saw her first and knew That her dark hair would weave a snare That I may one day rue I saw the danger, yet I walked Along the enchanted way I said, let grief be a fallen leaf At the dawning of the day On Grafton Street in November We tripped lightly along the ledge Of a deep ravine where can be seen the worst of passions pledged. The queen of hearts still baking tarts, and I not making hay. While I love too much, by such and such, is happiness thrown away. I gave her the gifts of the mind. I gave her the secret sign that's known to all the artists who have known true gods of sound and time. With word and tint, I did not stint I gave her reams of poems to say, with her own dark hair and her own name there, like the clouds or the fields of May. On a quiet street where old ghosts meet, I see her walking now away from me. So hurriedly my reason must allow, for I have wooed, not as I should, a creature made of clay, When the angel woos the clay, he'll lose his wings at the dawn of the day.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, And if you did enjoy it, why don't you tune in uh, for part two of this Claddy Collection, uh, which will be out just after Christmas, when we will be returning to celebrate the work of Patrick Kavanagh. Today's show was produced by Connor O'Hagan and presented by Gary Cook. Uh, special thanks to Clatter Records and to our sponsors, Specsavers, Expressway and Durophones.
3: I'm Lisa from Specsavers and we help the Hope Foundation provide eye care in Kolkata. Rintwa was found to have cataracts. The charity performed surgery which gave him his vision back. He regained confidence and returned to work. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie.